August 27th, 1776. Just a few days ago, right? I mean, in the scheme of things, not that long. But at the beginning of the Revolutionary War, George Washington pulled his troops together in New York and was getting ready to engage in a battle with 34,000 British soldiers, the most feared navy in the world at the time, in a fight that they, they really weren't supposed to win. But it's interesting to, to hear what he said to his troops in preparation for that moment. General Washington said, The time is now near at hand, which must determine whether Americans are to be free men or slaves. The fate of unborn millions will now depend under God on the courage and conduct of this army. Our cruel and unrelenting enemy leaves us, leaves us the only choice of brave resistance or the most abject submission. We have therefore to resolve to conquer or die. And that, that statement is interesting to me because in his mind, he apparently had a hold of the picture that unborn millions now depend on the way that we fight in this day. That it wasn't about, hey, we need to fight for our own lives. We need to fight for this day. But he foresaw the growth of our nation and that millions of people, their freedom depended on their sacrifice that day. And it was inspiring words, but it wasn't enough to overcome the circumstances of the day. They, they largely had to retreat. They lost that battle, but they did not lose the war. And that heartbeat that we're fighting for something larger than ourselves drove our country towards independence. And today it is a day where we want to honor, honor the mentality of the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 13, that says, Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so I believe that it's right for us to remember the fights of the past, the battles of the past, the people who have paid the ultimate sacrifice to ensure that we get to have the freedom to live, to worship, to be independent. And today, as we... Talk about honoring. I, I believe that it's a concept that's rooted in Scripture, that God continually through generations, as He led people through battles and victories and trials, He, he set up memories and memorials. In, in Exodus, when He freed the Hebrew people from the Egyptians, during the Passover, they were given instructions to eat this meal and remember and do this with your children so that when that your children ask you why you do this, you can tell them all that God has done. When he stopped a river so that the Hebrew people could come into the promised land, he instructed them to grab 12 stones and to bring them out so that when your children asked about them, you could tell them of all the things that God has done to bring them to this point. When Jesus was breaking bread with the disciples during the Last Supper, he said, every time that you break this bread, do this and remember me. It's important to remember the things that have happened because it guides us through our future. When we understand that for past generations, God has always showed up right on time. He has been faithful until the end. He has been good. His promises are trustworthy. And we see it in past generations. It empowers us in this generation to live knowing that God is going to show up in our moments of need. 
It's important to remember what has happened in the past, and I believe that it's important for us as a nation to honor those who have served and given their life and to honor those who are serving our nation. And today, we're going to be looking at honor in Scripture. And I will go ahead and tell you that this, is, this might feel a little bit awkward for some of you. This, this might be in a, in a place where you're like, okay, I need to let God do some work in this area. And it's not that I enjoy stepping on toes. I do enjoy awkwardness, though. There's just, it's helped me thrive as a pa- pastor. When things get awkward, I'm just all right. I kind of love that moment and that tension. Um, but in this area of honor, our society has moved away from honor. Like, it, it is not natural. It is not a natural occurrence. And it's something like, if you give me some honor, I'll give you a little bit of honor. And we're going to look at what Scripture teaches about honor and how we're supposed to deal with it internally, how we're supposed to deal with it externally, and the eternal like importance of honor. And I, I know that, like all things that I teach on, you're not going to get this perfect right away if this is an area that you need growth in. But I want you to be aware of what the foundation is. Like, what is the center? What is the line that I'm supposed to walk when it comes to honoring people, because if you don't have that right in your head, you might feel completely justified in acting like a jerk online. All right? Did I lay that out clearly enough? (laughs) Um, But I want you to see from Scripture what we're called to in regards to honor. As we enter this holiday, we're supposed to honor those who have served and given their life. I believe it's an appropriate time to begin to look into this, because the fact is when honor gets taken from someone, there's a reaction. There's a rightful reaction. I believe, in fact, that when honor is missing from relationships, because the image of God is written across all people, we see in Genesis that God created both man and woman in his image, that all races, all cultures, every single person on the face of the earth has the image of God written across them, correct? Right. So they have value. They have innate value. From the fact that they were known from the time they were in their mother's womb, they have value. Despite how they've spoken about you, despite how they've treated you, despite how they've treated your political party, it doesn't matter. They as a person have value. And when honor is robbed from their life, there is a reaction that even though they may reject God, there is a part of them that says, this is unjust that I am treated without honor. And they may not put those words to it, but there's that reaction that happens. And I believe because there's part of them that understands I have worth and I shouldn't be treated that way. And so whether it's police officers that are treated without honor, whether it's minorities that have been treated without honor, government officials, school teachers, religious leaders, when they're treated without honor, we have seen large reactions happen. And within the church, I don't know that the church across America has done much better about living out honor towards other people than the rest of our society. And I think part of it is because we've just bought into society's view of honor. And so I wanted to bring ourselves back to what, what does the Bible describe that you should act like and live like? And what should you expect if you're a leader, if you're a person of importance? What should it be like? And so we're going to start with Matthew chapter 20, and we'll put this up on the screen, starting at verse 25. And it says, But Jesus called his disciples together. He called them together, and he said, You know that the rulers in this world lord their leadership over other people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. This is some inflammatory speech right here. 
take it in. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Craig Rochelle is a pastor that I learn a lot from. He is the pastor of one of the biggest churches in America, has about 30,000 people at these different locations, and he has a leadership podcast that millions follow throughout the Christian world and the business world. He is a smart guy, and his heart has stayed humble. He is a good guy. And so when he's at one of his Life Church locations, he'll often be out front just greeting people as they come in, just as though he's an ordinary greeter. And it's getting close for him to kind of head back in because like me, you know, pastors can get caught up late and miss the beginning of service. And your team doesn't like that when that happens. And so he's about to make his way in and someone is coming in and it's their first time at the church. And they kind of walk up to this greeter that they don't know that happens to be the pastor of the church, Craig Rochelle, nationally known, internationally known. He is like, he can't go to the bathroom without somebody trying to talk to him. Like he's that level of known. And this person comes up and says, hey, I'm checking this church out for the first time. I've, I've heard this pastor's, this preacher's pretty good. What do you think? And Craig kind of pauses. He's like, oh, he's tolerable. He's all right. He's like, well, well, I don't really know if I trust big churches like this. They just always seem to be corrupt. And he's like, ah, you know, that, that happens sometimes. But these people seem pretty good. I'm about to actually go into service. Do you want to come sit with me? And it's like, yeah, that sounds good. I sit close to the front. Is that okay? I usually prefer the back, but I'll come sit with you up towards the front. And they go in and they sit and church service starts. And they're, they're singing and they go through worship. And when it's time for the message chart. Craig leans over to the guy and just kind of whispers, hey, I got to go do something real quick. I'll be right back. And he gets up on stage and he delivers the message. And, and, you know, Craig describes looking over the guy, you try not to stare at him, but you kind of glance at him and, you know, the guy's jaw is just on the floor because he's running through all the things that he's run his mouth to Craig saying about big churches and, you know, this preacher guy and, and all that. And he's rehearsing those things and Craig's just going through his message, unfazed by anything that the guy said before. And afterwards, he gets down to the guy and the guy is, you know, trying to, to eat his words, like trying to fix what he's done because he recognizes, man, that was the pastor, and I totally, he wouldn't have put these words to it, but he's like, totally didn't treat him with honor. Like, I was like questioning the church, like, and, tried, and Craig's like, no, it's, it's fine, it's good. And I love the fact that Craig was completely unfazed, and I've, I've heard him tell that story before, because Craig, the way that he used his gift and the way that he served had, had no connection to whether or not someone else was honoring him. And when you go to Jesus' teaching, about saying, if you want to excel, if you want to reach maturity, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be the person that you're called to be, then the way that you should view yourself and understand how you're going to be amongst other people, he compared it to being a slave. You want to be important in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of earth, be comfortable being treated like a slave. And I mean, I wasn't joking when I said that's inflammatory language. Like, I recognize that it is. But there is a sense within us that says, well, if they're nice to me, I'll be nice to them. If they honor me, then I'll honor them. But I'm going to show you as we walk through some passages that what's biblical is saying, I don't need them to honor me because I'm honoring God. My words will not be controlled by them. My attitude will not be controlled by them. I am comfortable being treated like whatever on this earth because I know that my treasure is in heaven. 
You know, the, the philosopher Mike Tyson, also a boxer, he actually talks about this. And you might kind of chuckle when I call him a philosopher, but listen to a video where he talks about forgiveness. And, and he's got a good grip, grip on it because he was talking with someone and they said, you know, I, I don't forgive. And he said, well, then you've chosen to make that person your master because they're in control of how you feel when you see them. They're in control of how you feel when you hear their name. They're in control of about what you will do and what you won't do around them. But as soon as you forgive them, you remove that chain. You remove their control over you. This is the calling of Scripture, to not be controlled by any person's attitude, words, or actions, but to be controlled by the Spirit of God, to be controlled by the Word of God, and to be directed by it. And so when we talk about the ability to give honor in places where you feel like they may not deserve it, the question is, does God deserve to be honored in your life? Does God deserve to be honored in your words? Are you comfortable saying, because of who I want to be in the kingdom of God, I will be everyone's servant. I will be everyone's slave because I recognize the, the eternal importance of honoring and serving other people. And so we, we have to get to this place where we just freely give honor. That externally, we understand I give honor out to other people and I internally don't need it. Romans 13 is a chapter that talks about the church's relationship to the governing authority. And, and it spells out very clearly that we are supposed to respect and honor the laws of our land and those who serve as government officials. And this sermon might have been easier for you to hear three years ago, or it might be easier for you to hear right now. But it is true no matter which colored party if it's blue or if it's red, if it owns the White House, this sermon is true either way, that we are supposed to operate with honor and respect towards our governing authorities. Romans 13 verse 7 says this. It says, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. We are biblically instructed, instructed to operate towards our government with a sense of honor, even when we disagree with them. Romans 13, the whole chapter, go, go and check it out for yourself. If this is hard on your heart to hear, but go read Romans 13 and it'll give you a description of the way that we're supposed to operate with our government. Titus chapter three describes it this way, very specifically. And we're gonna, when I read, after I read verse two, make sure you leave that up on the screen because we're gonna need to let that soak in. Titus chapter 3, verse 1 says, Remind the people to be subject to their rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Verse 2, and keep this up here, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Let's try to let this thing soak in piece by piece. In the way that we operate towards our government, in the way that we operate towards other people, it's not that you can't disagree with them, because I love to argue. I mean, it is, it is a gift of mine, like to get in and I can create an argument out of nothing, like I can do it. Every personality test I've ever taken, it reaffirms the fact that I enjoy a good argument. It's been described as my love language. If I love you, I have argued with you, all right? But the fact is, and what God has had to teach me over the years, is to be able to argue and discuss in the right ways. It's not that you can't disagree with what's going on in the government, but you are instructed by Scripture to not slander. 
This is part of how we honor others. To discuss, to engage, to disagree without slandering. To move the conversations and the feelings towards peace. To be considerate. To get outside of your own opinion and be considerate considerate towards others. And then the one that is the, the great exclamation point to this sentence, to always, always be gentle toward everyone. That does not describe our culture right now, does it? That does not describe how our society relates to each other. And I understand that other people might be slanderous towards you. They might be trying to just mix up trouble. They will not consider your opinion at all. And they are not gentle towards you at all. But they are not your master. And you should not give them control over your attitude, over your words, over your life, over your happiness, or over your stress levels. You have to take that control away from them and give it back to God and say, I'm going to operate according to your standards. And I know that you're not going to get this right all the time, but I want you to know the baseline of where you're supposed to be. And Titus chapter 3 does a beautiful job of just laying it out there. Always be gentle towards everyone. You can deliver the fact that you disagree in a gentle way. But they were nice to me. The message of Christianity can really be summed up with undeserved favor, undeserved kindness. That's what grace is, right? They don't need to deserve what you give them. But because you're choosing to honor God and honor Scripture with how you live, these are your parameters. And, and I want to be clear for you know, the other side of this. Well, what happens when the government's doing things that are way off? In the, the book of Acts chapter 4, verse 19, Peter and John got into this situation And they were being told not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. And they said, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The line of breaking what the government says, of going against the government, that's where they tell you to do something that God says not to do or tell you to stop doing something that God says that you have to do. And there are times to be disobedient to the government in that way. But even in the ways that we say, you know what, I'm not going to agree to that. Uh, That's outside of God's design. I do not agree with what you're requiring. You can deliver that message in a gentle and strong way. You can still do that without slander. You can still have peace in your heart and peace in your voice when you speak your disagreement. And this this is how we move with honor. This is how the church should look different amongst the conversation. And I recognize that within the church, we have people on the Democratic side, we have people on the Republican side, but I feel like both of those sides have been communicating in a way that is defeating to the kingdom of God. We have not exemplified being about peace and gentleness in our conversations. And in a day where we talk about honoring those who have given their life so that we can enjoy freedoms, freedom of speech, that we need to call back to the way that we speak, that it matters. The message of the gospel, like I said, is summarizing that undeserved grace. They don't deserve for me to talk to them like this, but that's what they're going to get because what God has done for me. Because I'm going to honor God in the way that I live. Because when we understand this is what I'm called to do, this, this straight path, I'm called to walk that straight path, 
but I'm not going to do it because I have my reasons, because of who they are, because of how they are. And we disregard the teachings of Scripture because of our own reasoning. That is destructive and dangerous to our own faith. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, it says it this way, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their reasonings and their senseless hearts were darkened. When we honor our own reasons and we justify our behaviors that we know are outside the bounds of Scripture, it is damaging to your relationship with God. It is damaging to the testimony of the church and your city and your country. And I also believe that it's one of the major reasons that we see children from Christian households walk away from the faith because they did not see lived out in their household what they heard about on Sunday mornings. When we know in our head that this is what I should be doing to honor God, but we just give ourselves the reasoning and the excuse to walk away, it says in Romans 1.21 that it causes a darkening, the light to dim in someone's heart. I think it's comparable to when Jesus was giving the parable of the seeds that fell along the path. It represented people receiving initially the gospel of Jesus Christ, but then there's different things that happened to the seed. It either didn't have depth or one of the cases, there was thorns that were around it, the worries and the anxieties of life that choked it out and killed what was there. When we allow political division to destroy relationships with people because we want to be able to slander the way they slander, I just I can't get outside of that that that's dishonoring to God. And your highest citizenship is not that of a U.S. American. I am thankful for our country. I am thankful for the freedoms that we enjoy. I am so grateful for those who serve. And my heart turns towards every family who has lost someone in service to our country. I am so thankful for it. But your highest citizenship should be that of the kingdom of heaven. And because of that, Because you want to honor God first, the way that you speak to people, I believe should be reflective of him. Because he's so loving that he sent his son, his one and only son, to die on the cross to pay for your sins. He's so merciful that he takes every mistake, every misspoken word, and he wipes those sins away as far as the east is from the west. He's so good that his promises, they always come true. He always fulfills his word and he brings that to be at just the right time. He is on time with the fulfillment of his promises. He is trustworthy. He brings peace when there is anxiety. And all of those characteristics of goodness and kindness and love, they should be on display in his church. But I don't think that it's been on display very well through our social media feeds. And on a national day of remembrance of those who have served and wanting to honor them, they fought for our country. They didn't fight for our country so that our country could continue to fight with each other. And there will be disagreements and there will be growth But I believe that God's church 
should lead the way in guiding the conversations with honor. Around Memorial Day, uh, you probably see these. I, I, I don't know that I would have been able to name what this flower was before I prepped for this message, so don't be, feel bad if you don't. But if you do know what kind of flower this is, go ahead and show off a little bit. Shout it out for me. It's a poppy. That's right. Good job. It's a poppy flower. Um, Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to close this thing out. Um, some of you guys didn't know what it's called, but you have had them on Memorial Day. You ha- you've picked them up from a parade or you've bought them from someone who's raising money uh, for wounded warriors or for families who've lost someone in service to the country. You might have a t-shirt that has poppy flowers on it because you know that's a Memorial Day thing. And the poppy flower is a symbol of, another, of, a, of a deeper story, a deeper meaning. And I, I think that it's important to know the meaning of, of, of what you're doing when you do something. And so it's a symbol, you know, the poppy flower is a symbol of honor. And it came to be through a poem that was written in, on May 3rd, 1915. During World War I, right as it was getting towards the end, about six months later, we'd finally move towards peace. But a Canadian officer um, in the army was sitting on the rear step of his ambulance. He was a surgeon, and the day before, his friend Alexis Helmer had been killed in battle. And he's looking at the field of battle. He's looking at where his friend now lay to rest. And I think he was just kind of wrestling through all of those emotions of what now? Now that he's dead and gone, what does his life mean? And so as an officer, as a man, he he wrote a poem because as he looked across the field of battle, he saw these poppy flowers in many of the places that had been disturbed, the ground had been disturbed by gunfire and people fighting because the poppy flower is a weed, it grows up quickly in upturned soil. And so across the field of battle, he saw these flowers growing and and he wrote this, in Flanders fields, the poppies blow between the crosses row and row that mark our place and in the sky, the larks still bravely singing fly. Scarce heard amid the guns below, we are the dead short days ago. We lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, Loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from failing hands we throw. The torch be yours to hold it high. If ye, be, if ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. And the poem was published. It didn't really gain a lot of notoriety until after he had passed um, three years later. But... As it was circulating, uh, a woman who was serving in, in New York at actually a YWCA, um, it so moved her heart that she wrote a response poem to it that I want to share with you. And she wrote in 1918, O you who sleep in Flanders' fields, sleep sweet to rise anew. We caught the torch you threw, and holding high, we keep the faith with all who died. We cherish, too, the poppy red that grows on fields where valor led. 
It seems to signal to the skies that blood of heroes never dies, but lends a luster to the red of the flower that blooms above the dead in Flanders fields. And now the torch and poppy red we wear in honor of our dead. Fear not that ye have died for naught, will teach the lesson that ye wrought in Flanders fields. And that's where this tradition comes from on Memorial Day and on days of remembrance of wearing the, the poppy flower. The flower itself is red, which reminds us of the blood that was shed. And then the black center is reminiscent of, that, of a gunshot wound that so many have died of. And so it's not just a flower for display, but there's, there's meaning, there's story, there's heartbreak. There's someone specifically sitting on the back of an ambulance bumper trying to process the death of his friend the day before that goes behind the story of why we wear the poppy on days like Memorial Day. And it's not to, to cheapen or insult anyone who wears one without knowing it, but we understand that there's a deeper meaning behind just this. And some people will never know it. When you honor someone else, I believe that there should be a deeper meaning behind it. Not just that you're trying to buddy up to someone, but because your relationship with God has so grabbed a hold of your heart that it affects your mouth. Your relationship with God has so changed who you are and how you are that you will choose to speak with honor and kindness and gentleness towards other people especially when they don't deserve it because God has given you a love that you don't deserve. And so honor really for the Christian should become a symbol of the love that you have for God. Because I so love you, God, I will treat my brother and my sister here with honor. Because I love you so much, God, when they slander me, I will speak back with peace. And that honor is just a symbol of the faith that you have. And so when the honor is missing, I believe the faith is misplaced. It's not practiced, it's not applied. So within your, yourself, within your heart, as God stirs up in you, and you have these occasions where people just grind your nerves, lean into your heavenly Father. Worship Him in that moment. It is worship in that moment for you to say, God, I love you so much that I'm going to bite my tongue. Justice is yours, but honor is mine to extend. And when you do that, the scripture says, you will shine like stars amongst a dark generation. Let the light of Christ move through his church, through honor. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we don't have to hold on to pain, that we don't have to try to fight to get even, but we can put all of that into your hands and in an act of worship, give honor to other people as an act of love for you. So Father, stir our hearts up so much with love that it just flows into these other places that so desperately need it. So many places that are looking for a fight, but what they're really looking for is fulfillment that is only found in Christ. And so may our testimony not be slowed down 
by our words or our political affiliations. May grace flow through our lives because you are worthy of that kind of honor. May we be found faithful in Jesus' name.